0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind the scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Tamara Jenkins' new family drama, Private Life. The film stars Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti as a couple struggling to conceive who undergo multiple fertility therapies. But the process of trying to add to their family challenges their relationship with each other as they descend deeper and deeper into the world of assisted reproduction and domestic adoption. In addition to Private Life, Ms. Jenkins' credits include the feature films The Savages and slums of Beverly Hills. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Jenkins spoke with director Mike White about filming Private Life. During their conversation, Ms. Jenkins discusses washing dishes as an acting exercise, her personal connection to the film's subject matter, and why this film became the most direct deposit from her brain to the screen.
1: (sighs) um uh hey Hi. M- amazing movie pretty 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 intense um this is like i you know they're you're supposed to ask like uh what was your what was your inspiration like for this kind of movie there's something so like raw and um seemingly personal because it's so well observed it almost feels like i'm prying by saying where did you get the idea for this movie <laughs>
2: Are you asking? Yes. Um, First of all, thank you so much for coming. This theater is so beautiful. I don't know if you've ever been to the DGA Theater in Manhattan, but um, that's where I live, and this is really different. This is like Lincoln Center. It's so beautiful. There, you know, it's... Anyway, so thank you so much for coming, and it's great to be here. And um, well, you know, there is a personal component that my husband and I went through our own fertility saga, um, and uh, I, not that while I was in the throes of it was I thinking, oh, this is a great motion picture, <laughs> I, um, although I do, I sometimes think that my first unconscious notion of making it into a movie was when my husband and I were in the middle of all this, uh, you know, whatever, we were in upstate New York, and we went to the movies, and the movie was knocked up. And we had been spending our days, like, injecting me and going to doctor's appointments and putting on estrogen patches. And, uh, and then we'd go and watch this movie where, you know, like, two people have sex and they get pregnant. It was – we totally forgot that that was an option. Um, so uh, – and then we – I remember walking out of the theater and, and turning to my husband and saying, you know, wow – Knocked out, knocked up. What would what would ours be called? And I said, "Oh, knocked out." <laughs> so I think on some unconscious level, that must have been the beginning of thinking about it. Right. I mean, I don't really think I was, but there's something in there.
1: I actually remember running into you at a restaurant, like in New York. It was a f- quite a few years ago, but I, it's hard to say. But like, I remember you were like in the midst of like a kind of torturous process of. I I assume writing this movie probably. Is, oh yeah, was where it a, were we? I don't know, but I... I just remember you were. It was like you were really. It just it felt like I caught you at a moment where it seemed like you were really kind of pulling your hair out a little bit about uh, the writing process. And I know this is a Directors Guild, but I but I because I I'm just curious. Was this? I mean, I know it's been uh, like. I mean, it took me ten years to, between movies that I directed, so it's so like <laughs> That's I'm in the same boat. But like, uh, but was it was it the writing process that was part of what took you a long time to come to your next movie? Um, or no, I
2: I think that the write. I think that the first draft, the real first draft, which was obscenely long, took two years, um, and it was two hundred pages, and I. Which always sort of happens to me, where I uh, over—I just throw it all out there, and then I have to chip away at it and turn it into something that has shape. Um, and then once it was a thing that was presentable to financiers, uh, that took a while. I, I feel like the whole thing was like five years between, you know, writing it and then, you know, having it get sort of stuck at a. Company for a year and not move, and then finally getting it, you know, to a new company and all that classic stuff. So, right. uh, yeah.
1: Well, there's so many ideas in the movie, and there's so much as a writer I want to ask you about because this is a Directors Guild. I, I but don't we're writer,
2: like, we're writer directors.
1: Well, I know, I know, but I, I, and I do. I, I mean, I, but I also feel like I. Uh, I, I mean, there's lots of other questions I want to ask you too. So, as a director. Um. I so I I guess my next question would be so then when you had the script and you were you felt like you were confident or happy with it enough to want to go make it, um, what was the process of getting um the cast and the and the pieces together to actually get it get behind the, um, the
2: camera? Well, it was at a different company, and uh, it took a while to for all of us to agree on. Catherine and Paul and um uh, they're so awesome. I they're love s- them so much as a couple. They they feel so authentic. I kept saying they're not a movie couple. They're a couple couple. They're like right. people people in a relationship uh and it, not a movie version of that, which I really loved about them. Um and uh actually and there was an uh, there was a different actress playing Sadie who um once we left the first company and went to, the, 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 to Netflix, that actors fell out for, you know, and then we were very close to shooting the movie, and we had to find someone very fast, and, um, and we got to cast a person who wasn't known, which was really exciting, and I was very grateful that Netflix let us cast a relatively unknown person yeah. for such a big part.
1: So did she just audition? And she auditioned. And you just...
2: Because yeah. we were really in trouble because we were only a few weeks away from shooting. And, you know, Paul and Catherine's schedule, there was no wiggle room because they both had commitments on, on the other side. And uh, Jeannie McCarthy, who's my casting director, who's great, and uh, started auditioning, I think maybe 90 girls women, young women. And, uh, and it was, it was hard. And I didn't, it wasn't, there was no one there. And I remember saying, isn't there a theater girl under a rock somewhere? Like this is New York. There's gotta be some theater girl under a rock. Like it's just like doing a play somewhere that we don't know That's. And then she wrote me an email and she said, I just found this girl under a rock, but it wasn't really a rock because she had just come back from London and she was in a Mark Rylance play. And, uh, she had just returned, and she auditioned, and she was fantastic. I mean, I was still nervous because I, because she didn't have a body of work to refer to, but she was delicious. Yeah. And
1: she's amazing. Just because you know, it's the movie's so funny, but their their reality, it, they seem so like broken at the beginning. And then she comes in and her she mirrors their life in a way that she sees she sees something that they don't see and is just this voice of some kind of i don't know hopeful the illusions that they they've been disillusioned from in some some very poignant way, and yeah, she really she captures sort of that romanticizes
2: a, the way that they've been yeah, living that they've been sort of yeah. burnt out by yeah and then she's like, you guys are like artists that live in New York,
1: right. It's awesome. So you, uh, so the writing process is somewhat tortured. What do you like on set as a director?
2: What am I like? Yeah. <laughs> I guess you'd have to ask somebody else. But um, I, this was a really, this was a very, the first, you know, 11 days or whatever it was, half the movie was shot in an apartment, their apartment, and we, sh- we did that first, which was kind of amazing because it was like an incubator for us as a, little family, the three of us, to really just get to know each other. It was so intimate and intense, and it just felt like a little rep company Mm -hmm. moving from, you know, bedroom to dining room to living room to kitchen. And uh, I don't know, something about being contained like that uh, was very good for us as a company, Uh the three of us, the four of us. Um, I felt, I don't know what I was like on. I mean, I feel like.
1: Is it a. Do you enjoy. Oh. Is it a fun for yeah. you? Yeah.
2: I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, when you're seeing the material, you know, become three dimensional, something that you've written that's flat on a page, and then the, you know, Paul is doing what he does and Catherine. I mean, it's so glorious. It's like the most thrilling thing. Yeah. It's,
1: I mean, it's beautifully realized. I just, it's, it's, is it, uh, what do you find yourself like? Stress, like, you know, while you're shooting the things that like obsess you the most, is it as a, yeah. What is your, what are your,
2: I always feel like what I'm doing is I've set up kind of almost in a, a laboratory, where, I mean, because I'm also the writer, where I created tension within the, the the scene, because if I did it right, and the way that we've sort of set up the, the blocking, you know, and that if I have done all of those things right, and where, you know, that then I sort of step back and watch the chemical reaction um, take place before me in terms of performance and stuff. So... um I, and I do, you know, I, I and I fail on occasion, where I, which I, I assume all directors do, but who knows? Because it's so rare that you ever see another director direct. But um, you know, I guess my failures. I feel like I had one failing moment with Catherine and one with Paul, never with Kay- Kaylee, um, where you would fixate on a sh- on a take, or I, I mean, fixate on a scene, and you kind of. Almost going to like a trance where you you're you're asking to do it again and you're asking to do it again and you're looking for something and you're just kind of going down a rabbit hole of repetition and and I did that once with Catherine with the teeniest scene of all it's like the smallest scene um, and I did it once with Paul. And then I remember just kind of, like, my DP kind of kicking me. Like, I think you've gone down a rabbit hole. And sort of waking, he's like, why are, you, why are you making them do that again? And I was like, well, I, I and then just kind of snapping out of it. I mean, it's not, it's, we don't, it's a very uh, low-budget movie, so there wasn't a lot of time for that kind of indulgence. But I, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, where you're almost like, I don't know what it is. It yeah. must be well, nerves, a, or yeah. I, I don't know. Or you're looking for something, but you don't know what it is, and you're making the poor actor, you know, do it again. And it was this. anyway. I did that twice. I failed the, the actors each once, and I admitted it. I said that. I really <laughs> was a too jerk. You micro. Yeah, I micro- I microed them to death, so they couldn't even like. They lost their instincts.
1: And, like, working with the different designers, like the production designer and, and cinematographer, are you, do you often reference other movies? Are you watching a lot of movies before, like getting people to watch those, or are you really just talking through character? And, and uh, what are the kinds of conversations that...
2: With the cinematographer and I, we looked at a bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, we were interested in doing long takes, not, you know, having it be extremely cutty um and uh that was sort of a goal um I can't tell you everything that we watched I mean I, we were sort of talking about Gordon Willis like everybody does um we I love him so much I re- that was a great collaboration in terms of yeah. feeling like his his name is Christos Fudoris. When I was prepping the movie, or when we were crewing the film, I, I was saying to my... I was like, I want a master. I want a cinematographer who's a master. And I, I was like, I'm, no masters are really going to be making my movie with me, I don't think. Um, my, my movie that takes place in apartments in New York. And, uh, and then uh, uh, so, uh, his name came to me through a variety of ways. And I... Um, he lives... He's Greek. But he lives in Madrid. Um, and I, he, he doesn't have a huge body of work, but he, uh, in, like in America, he did a, a Link Ladder movie um, and he did an Iris Sachs movie. Um, and the Iris Sachs movie is very simple, super minimalist, but his framing was very beautiful. And I just felt something about him. And then we Skyped and, The long and the short of it is he ended up doing the movie. But I really feel like he is a master. He's like Mm -hmm. an unknown master. No one knows that he's a master, but he's a master. And he's eccentric, and he does a lot of commercials in Europe, and he doesn't really... He's very picky about what uh, narrative, I mean, features he does. And um, I just think he's really special. His His eye is just... He'll do something that... Well, see, like, it's a dumb, I mean, I don't know, it's not a dumb example. There's a shot of Paul, the big scene where Paul and Catherine are in bed, and they have the big fight where he says, you know, were we ever going to have sex again? And um, I'm kind of glad that it didn't happen. The opening shot of Paul, I remember just saying, okay, so we're going to set up over here, and we're going to be on Paul. And I kind of turning away and then turning back, and Paul was sort of falling out of the bottom of the frame. That was the frame that the DP put on, you know, set how he set it up. Which I never would have done. And it was so perfect. And it just, it's like a touch. He's just touched. And I was like, that is just beautiful. There was something about him slipping out of the bottom of the frame that seemed so expressive and so right.
1: Well, it feels still and it feels very close and it obviously is very funny, but it's not shot like in a way that, I mean, I, it definitely felt like cumulatively by the time they're like back in, (laughs) I just remember the one shot while they were waiting and they, they, all the people are still in the waiting room and you're like, this is like a horror movie. And I think there's something about it that because you don't see babies in the movie, there's no babies it's almost like what is? It's almost like if you were like an alien coming. Like, what are these people doing? You know, it feels it has this kind of dread. At least that was my experience. It was like I was laughing, and it felt you know it's it so honest and poignant. But there is this feeling of um, yeah, it's like it's like a, there's something slightly horrifying about it. Well, when, when we
2: were making when we were making the movie, Paul Giamatti said, um, "This isn't about the baby." This is this is waiting for Godot. Yeah. It
1: and has a it does feel it it's does. It's like feel an like existential. That. It feels like an existential dread is very there. And it, it really does ca- capture it in a way that is so I you know, I haven't really, you know, the uh you know, and obviously it's it's filtered through the whole movie is this kind of sense of um your life being reduced to your career or your role as, uh, your womanhood, your role as a mother and what you've been, what you've produced and how, are you fertile in this? And as as they pass the baton to this girl and she comes back and she's now suddenly, yeah, like in those first moment where you see her sort of tortured, she's being like, they're bringing her into this, like, and uh, yeah it's 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 deep it's heavy and and sad and and yet so human and and beautiful so congratulations Thank but you. uh and then i uh, i guess i don't know where we are but um in the editing like are you uh is that part fun i guess
2: yeah it is it's also i mean i'm definitely the kind of person that sits there every single day like a lunatic um and it's interesting because some directors don't and some do and, you know, sit there every day with the editor, like, they're not leaving the room. And and some walk away, I just find that so, f- you know, and come back to see stuff. Anyway, I'm the one that doesn't leave. Um, and um, it is, it's, the putting together the first cut is very, I mean, I feel like, we, you know, I live in New York and we were cutting it in New York and we cut the movie and I'd walk home and every day I just, I was, every time we sort of crack open a new scene to start, you know, editing, I just was always convinced this one is not going to work. Like, this is the one that's not going to come together. And I don't know, it's, I mean, it's incredibly exciting. I love editing because I feel like also the learning curve as a director just is so high because you see everything you have, what you could have had, what you didn't have. You see the flexibility of film and filmmaking um, the pliability of it, you. Um, so I don't know. I, it's an amazing place. It's also. Like it's also p- scary. When you, <laughs> some of, something about cracking open the scenes. I always get this sick feeling, and and I, and you know, and and I, the first whatever the assembly is repellent, and I I can barely look at them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it is for everybody, but yeah, it's just.
1: Do you feel like the movie morphed? along at each stage or do you feel like this movie is very close to the original kind of i mean obviously everything comes to life as it comes along but do you feel like tonally or like you know conceptually like the ideas that excited you to write it like do you feel like they were yeah that they occur i do i think
2: i mean i've only made three feature films and i would say that this is the most direct deposit from like my brain to the screen without compromises because I wasn't made to compromise by Netflix, which was pretty astonishing. Like there was no meddling. Um, and, uh, I feel like it was pretty, you know, I, I didn't feel like it was mangled and that I screwed it up royally and that I feel like it's close. And then it becomes something like a third thing. Um, which is whatever I was talking about, that alchemy thing that happens. But, um, yeah, I think it's close. That it's doing the things that I was interested in it doing. Uh huh.
1: I mean, it's, for me, like this one scene that felt completely unmitigated un, uh, pleasure was when she gets to Yado and she has this room. And it's like, there is something... To me, I'm curious to, I guess, poke you a little bit about, like, you know, uh, yeah, because all of the motherhood stuff is so fraught, (laughs) and there's so much regret that, uh, that just um, between Molly's character and Catherine, and you know, it's like, and and this, like, the yeah, the artists' uh, room, and and the that there's still some sort of um, un yeah you know it's yeah a potential and without without any of the like yeah there's no there's no fang there it feels very very um generous there um as somebody who's been making movies and uh you know like are you still do you still <laughs> i mean i'm just curious what your where your heart is as far as like ta- you know talking about some of these ideas that
2: come up in the movie. Um, I mean, that, I mean it's, it, it's interesting because I guess not that I planned it that way, but I realized that the movie, while I was writing it and kind of, I, I don't know at what point the consciousness became clear about this idea that, that there were these three female characters in the movie and that they were each um, so informed by their characters were so informed by this, their biological reproductive moments where one was a 20 something kind of fertile, exploding fertility person who would not be in any position to have a kid. Um, and then a woman who's sort of at the end of her and then uh, like pushing the envelope and then Molly who's kind of empty nesting um, and in, in a menopausal state. And I, I don't know. That was something that I don't. I, I didn't set it out for it, but I it like. Well, it was rose. just interesting because
1: the way into it was like talking about this couple that they'd had kids and they never, you know, and they were, and out of. I it. Almost felt like there was some sort of. You're drawing some sort of. Idea out that you know people who are you know can can, you know, when they don't have children are able to put some of this kind of, uh, I don't know, energy or. Like because parental, that's what that's, yeah, what, the Yado,
2: what that's what the Yaddo that's what the Yaddo the people that yeah. Yaddo's is artist colony in upstate New York um and uh the, the the Trasks the husband and wife did lose all these children it's horrible like and uh but they created this place where there was this life that yeah. they would invite artists to like come there and you know millions of um, um and it just became this fertile ground despite the fact that there's children buried all over the place um so yeah there was something there was something in that and that a different kind of birth, and also, I always felt like that you know they were dropping Sadie off to college like they already had a yeah, kid it
1: was, well, they yeah, definitely felt like they were yeah you know, starting to it was a mothering or a parental relationship and and you know it was, it's it's an intense film. Anyway, I I, I want to open up a few questions so other people can ask uh, before we have to wrap up.
2: Um, there's a card that says five minutes. I'm going to talk really fast. Um, uh, we did did not, but the one thing that I did that was the sort of like the, the smart thing that I did was that Paul and Catherine. Um, fell into the city of New York. This is before the movie was like, I mean, it was before pre-production. Um, Catherine was doing Bad Moms press and Paul was about to go to Poland to shoot something, but they were in the city at the same time for a second. And I um, I wanted them to get together, so by the time they did come together and we had a couple of days of rehearsal, it was like working in them, you know, working that they had a memory of each other, that there could have been something sort of brewing in their you know subconscious about each other so we had this dinner we did it at Paul's house um, and I made dinner for them and I gave them a couple of acting exercises the one was I made them wash the dishes because I thought that was very marital and that would be a good physical activity that would make them married and um, and and we went through the script and we read every scene and we talked about every scene. And then I, I, I called up a donor egg website page and I had them pick an egg donor. Um, and we had this really long night together, but it was one night. And then we didn't see each other for months. And then when it was time, we had like three days of rehearsal, proper rehearsal in the city with um, Kaylee and, 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 and them. And that was the first time Kaylee got to meet them. So it was short, but they're such, they're also such, you know, they both, they're, they're, they're so, anyway, that was a great, that was, that was like the smartest thing I ever (laughs) did, to make that meeting happen in advance. Well, not from a topic point of view, but from a rhythm point of view, and um, we, I showed it at Sundance uh, in January, but we were rushing to hit the deadline for Sundance, and I knew it wasn't locked it was it was a little it was flabby but i didn't know where and i had ideas but we weren't we didn't have enough time to test them before we went there and so i went with a cut and then i came home from there and i did i did some more work and you know chipped away at some stuff in the third act that were that was lumpy and um and so so that was a big thing I mean, it was subtle. It was very surgical and small, but it wasn't an issue-related thing. It was it was a rhythm thing. Um, well, I, you know, this is written exactly like it is. When I was writing it, I struggled for a minute there. Like, I used to sort of think that somewhere in the Halloween-ness of it all that it would end, and it was very unsatisfying, and I kind of... I eventually, I remember getting very, you know, it's funny. Some people, it's an interesting ending. Some people, audiences are like mad. Um, They think that maybe there's something parsimonious of me not giving them a kid. And I knew I never wanted them. I knew that the movie was about a marriage. And that was, to me, the ending, the happy ending of this movie, which is a very muted Notion of a happy ending, <laughs> but was Paul getting up from one side of the booth and going to the other side of the booth? To me, that was the happy ending. Um, and then to linger on them and to sit with them in real time and feel the kind of, you know, here, the here-we-are-ness of it all and, the, and the, you know, the worry, is she going to come? Is she not going to come? Um, that's almost like a tale on the end of after he holds her hand and sits there and says, that's better. I don't know if that helps answers the question. It wasn't like a punk rock. I mean, I feel like the people I said, it's not like this punk rock move that I was like, I'm not going to give him a kid, but I really, but I really believe that it wasn't a, it wasn't really about that. It was about them and it was about survival. It's about the existential dread. Yes, it's about the existential dread. It's waiting for Godot. It's waiting for Godot.
1: No, I do... I mean, the movie does touch on all the judgments that go on with these kinds of decisions. And I feel like, like any good movie, you're, you're going to people's reactions to the movie are going to say as much about <laughs> where they come out on all of these things as it does about the quality of the movie because that's uh, inarguably uh, amazing.
2: It's great. Right. Well, like that, you know, somebody saying, well, why don't they just adopt? And why don't they... All of the opinions about what is something very private that becomes this kind of yeah, you thing f- that everybody's... You can see like, it as like,
1: why are these people trying to start a plastic factory in this day and age? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Say that again. Oh,
1: yeah. He he's asking about the explicit nudity. You
2: you mean the scene with Catherine, the vagina vagina. You know what? It's an amazing story because it wasn't written in the script that way, and (coughs) Catherine was cast. And then as I was looking over, the, I thought, oh, this would be real. What if she was, you know, doing something dom- like weird domestic cleaning or whatever? But then she came out and that she, she had nothing on in that weird, I don't know, <laughs> way. Um, and that weird domestic nudity way. I don't know how else to call it. And I came up with the idea, but it wasn't written there. It's not like we had a nudity clause or whatever. That's What's it called?
1: waiver oh, no not a nudity, nudity.
2: Nud, you know like where you go full frontal or vo- where you make a thing where so I, it was an idea that came after she was cast in the movie and I told her I said you know I have this idea that I think it would be kind of amazing if you came out and then there was this kind of almost like double entendre vagina thing happening where it's like oh my god and you know the vagina on the wall and then the vagina and then this and so I thought it would be really funny and <laughs> and I liked it, and I said it to her, and I was really nervous. And she said, Oh, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Let's do it. And I was like, and then I kept thinking, like, she didn't hear me. And every time I saw her, I was like, you know, like the vagina scene with the, you know, what about if you and she was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another time, she's like, You keep t-? I said, Yeah, like totally. And she was just so relaxed about it. And I was like harping on the vagina thing. And and then the irony of ironies was that because of our shooting schedule, it had something to do with when the woman who played the social worker was available and blah, blah, blah. We basically, it was like the first day of principal photography. And I said to her, okay, this is really horrifying, but the vagina thing that I'm really fixated on, um, it's either like day one or day two. And I know that's really weird. And she said, you know what, let's do it day one, because then I don't know the crew. And I can do it. Day two, I'll know who they are and I don't want them looking at my ass then. So, or something like that. So um, it was a very, she is so, I mean, it, I it just, I was freaking out and she was incredibly um, not freaked out about it. She's amazing. Well, I'm, I'm
1: sad that we're out of time, but Tamara, it was such a good movie and thank you all for staying and and uh, Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have a lot more for you in the coming weeks as award season approaches, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.